0: Thank y'all very much. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to GBC. Um, great to sing with y'all and to worship with you. A uh, couple of things before we begin. Uh, the first one, an important announcement. We have some new staff on our church. Here they are, all three of them. We we hired a triumvirate to work with our children's ministry. Meredith Crow, Amy Bento. Jennifer Husser, um, they are fantastic. They are replacing, and th- this announcement is like crazy, long overdue. But um, Emery Snyder is uh, basically moving to to Dallas, and and so she is vacating that position. Uh, we needed three people to replace her. Uh, that's that's just simple math. And and anyway, we got three awesome ladies. I I, I love watching how their gifts are are really kind of working together. And, and I, I think what they're doing is great. Just know that they are now in charge of our children's ministry. And if you ever have any questions, go go find one of them uh, or all of them, whatever. But it's it's been a ton of fun and try to welcome them to our staff. It'd be great. Last thing I want to tell you, also pertaining to children, we have a baby dedication immediately after this service. So about Ten minutes after this service, we'll reconvene for a baby dedication. And if you have the opportunity to stay, our baby dedications are really cool. Uh, we hundred percent believe in in you know baptism by immersion for people who have grown and believed in Jesus. So believers' baptism, all that. But but we also think it's a great idea to dedicate our kids. And so. That's going to be happening, and we'd invite the entire congregation to stay and, and to participate in that. I think that's it. Let me pray, and we will dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Father, when we sing, I surrender all, it is certainly aspirational. We, we want that to be the case in, in all aspects of our lives, um, in our purity, in our generosity, um, in in everything we We try to live unto your glory, but Father, we we also fall short in that, and we've got all sorts of insecurities that that sabotage us in that. We confess that. We ask that your gospel would help us with that. I pray God that, as we look at second Corinthians nine, you would give us greater security and contentment and identity in Christ and faith that you are a good and provisional Father, that we might live more fully. Not only under your authority, but in participation with your good kingdom purposes. And so God, help us in all of that. I can't do any of it, Lord. Only your word and your spirit can. I pray that your word and your spirit would have um, their intended effects on, on me and also on my friends here. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be talking today about generosity, and, uh, and it's, it's kind of the second or third, depending on how you, you know, count it, second or third week in a row that we've been talking on generosity. And if you're new here, we are talking about generosity because we are going through 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are specifically about generosity. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Grace Bible Church, by the amazing grace of God, is is doing well financially. So this is not me trying to turn the screws down on anyone. Um, Michael actually, in his prayer for the offering, said, uh, let me see if I can get it right. He wants, God wants generosity for us as not from us. And and that's the truth. I like we are preaching this because it is in all of our best interest, mine included. Uh, Before we jump into the text, I I want for just a moment to start off by imagining what a world would look like where money doesn't consume you. Do you know what I mean by that? This would be a world where you give generously and sacrificially because you want to. Like, you love the things you're giving to, you're, you're not giving under compulsion, like some guy isn't sitting across the table and kind of turning the screws down on you and like, oh, won't you give, if you don't give, I'm not gonna be able to go on the mission field. And you're like, ah, this is killing me. None of that, like you actually love the things that you're giving to. Think about it for a little bit more. There is no insecurity in this world related to money. So when you give, like you're thinking about being really generous, you're, you're not immediately thinking, well, how am I gonna live in retirement? Like, that, that's not crossing your mind at all because that's ultimately rooted in insecurity and you're trying to, f- to fend for yourself. Like, I've, I've got to have this much, you know, none of that. None of that. You're, you're just giving and there's no insecurity, there, there's no obligation, just free, generous offerings based on joy-filled conviction. And wouldn't that be fun? I'm not there. I'm not. The the question we have to ask is, how do we get there? Now, as soon as I asked that question, most of you, I'm guessing, and I'm projecting, most of you thought about a number. Like, if if I had, I mean, whatever your number is, if I had $2 million, I would, everything else would be generous. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be so liberal in my generosity. Maybe it's less, maybe it's $200,000. Maybe it's, it's $20 million. I, I have no idea what it is, but, but most of you thought about a number, and then here's what else I would say, I'm just guessing here, none of you are at that number. It's weird, everyone has a different number, but nobody's at the number they wanna be at. I mean, that, that's the problem, right? I mean, like, if I had this, I'll be generous when, that's kind of how it works. But, but we all came to a number, and we all don't have that number. Here's what I'd propose to you. God's answer to the question, how do we get there, doesn't have a number in it. it it's a totally different way to get to the number. Let's look at the text, and I, I really pray that this is going to encourage you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I'm I'm just going to summarize it. Paul, it's funny. He starts with, now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the the ministry for the saints. He's talking about a a gift that the Corinthians are going to give to the church in Jerusalem that is really poor. And he says, it's superfluous. Like, it's unnecessary that I would write this. He's in the second of two chapters writing about this while he says it's unnecessary. (laughs) Like... It reminds me of my friend Mark Sykes. Growing up, one of my dear, dear childhood friends, from about 6th to 8th grade, awkward time for all of us, Mark had this habit. He would would constantly say, West, I hate to say this. And and what I knew, I, I picked up on it pretty quickly. Whenever Mark Sykes would say, I hate to say this, I knew two things. One, he did not hate to say it. And two, I hated to hear it. Like every time. That, that's how it works. So when, when Paul, who is starting the second of two chapters on giving, says, now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. What he's saying is, I got to write to you about that. I mean, it's just, it, I wonder if he thinks it's funny because I definitely think it's funny. Here's the deal. Verses one through five, he is saying, I'm sending people ahead of me to Corinth to start gathering or, or shaping this gift so that when the rest of us get there so that we can take it, you don't embarrass us. That's so what he's saying. We know you want to be generous. You've said you want to be generous. We just want to send some scouts in ahead of time to make sure that you're going to be generous. We don't have to write this, but here starts the second chapter on giving. I want you to know that verses 1 through 5 drives toward the last clause of verse 5, so that it may be ready, this gift that they're going to give, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. That's the deal. Everything is driving. I'm sending these people in front. I want to make sure that you're ready so that when they get there, when we get there, and, and you are actually giving this gift, it is a willing gift and not and exaction. Now verses 6 and 7 are going to go on to delineate what is the difference between a willing gift and exaction. I'm going to read that for you now. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, these verses are really highlighting the distinction between a willing gift and an exaction. In verse 6, you, we start off with a proverbial expression that links sowing and reaping and contrasts sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly and sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully. I mean, that very clearly, and, and it's a proverbial expression. It, it has multiple applications, but But in this context, we have to ask the question, what's at stake here? Like what is Paul actually trying to get at? What is the difference between sparingly and bountifully? We use the term spare more than we use sparingly. And so let's see if we can get at it from there. If I said to you, hey, we will spare no expense. What am I saying? We're not going to hold back. Whatever it takes, we're going to We're going to spend that to fix whatever we're trying to fix. We will spare no expense. We will get whatever it takes to accomplish whatever we're trying to accomplish there. We will not hold back in accomplishing whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. We will spare no effort is similar. We're not going to go half-heartedly at something. Sparing no effort means we're going to give it all. We're not going to hold back. In both cases, to be sparing is to hold back. Contrast with that, when it says we will reap or sow bountifully, the word bountifully is eulogia. Eulogia is where we get the word eulogy. Eulogy is what you hear at a memorial service or a funeral. It's when people get up and speak literally you, good, logos, words, about the deceased. Sometimes there's a, a coffin up here and somebody gets up and, and says, you know, old Brother Bob, he was a great guy. He was a deacon at the first Methobacterian church for 17 years and he loved his wife and he, he was a wonderful saint of God and he is in the pearly gates of heaven. That's a eulogy. It's good words about Brother Bob. Brother Bob might have been a terrible guy, but it's a eulogy. So you no eulogies are ever the bad stuff. Like, what a fun funeral that would be. That guy was a so-and-so. I think he's rotten in the pit of hell. You've never been to that because it's a eulogy. It's, it's a blessing of that person. You're speaking good words on their behalf. It's not just words, even though the term means good words. It also came to me any other sort of blessing even a material blessing, eulogia came to be a liberal generosity, a generous gift. So so a bountiful sowing and reaping is, is a generosity that is compelling, a, a full sowing, a, a no-holding-back sowing and reaping. Ultimately, when verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The principle here is you get out of something exactly what you put into it. And it's proverbial, it's axiomatic, because it has all sorts of applications. It clearly is speaking about farming here, right? But we're not talking about farming here, which is good, because most of us are not in agrarian occupations. It wouldn't apply to us if it just spoke to farming, but it's true, if you put a lot of seed in the ground, you probably get a lot of crop. If you don't put much seed in the ground, you probably don't get much crop. It's true in farming, but isn't it true in relationships? That's why it's proverbial. It, it has multiple applications. It's that, you know, like if if you're pursuing a relationship with, with a girl named Betty, you can be a guy or a girl, this is just a general pursuit of a relationship with a girl named Betty. And you decide that you want, you have time to talk to Betty once a year. That would be a sparing pursuit of a relationship. How much do you expect to get out of said relationship with Betty? Not much, right? Conversely, if you say, I really want to pursue Betty, she is going to become one of my very best friends. Maybe if you're a guy, she's going to become my girlfriend. I want to see her two or three times a week. I want to be very intentional with her. I want to have specific conversations. I'm going to commit to this relationship, you can also expect to gain significance from that relationship. That's how it works. He who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. In farming, in relationship, and in giving. That's that's where we start. That's how this works. Now verse 7 adds to it. If you look at verse 7, you're going to see that the external action of sowing and reaping, and it is external, you're putting seed in the ground. That's something you do externally. The external action of sowing and reaping should start with an inward conviction of the heart. That's what verse 7 says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, to give as he has decided verse 7. is an interesting word there. Decided is decidedly comparative. That's what you need to remember. It's it's not like I'm making a decision in a vacuum. The the Greek word for decided here means to take one thing before another. Before another. So it's not just to choose something. It's I'm going to take this and I'm not going to take this. It's, It's comparative. You're prioritizing something in this decision it's a choice based on prioritization ultimately it's saying we have to decide we have to prioritize in our heart and give accordingly which is why by the way we should be cheerful like so many people give under compulsion like oh i feel like i've got to give in order to be a good christian look the term good christian should be a red flag okay Like, Jesus was the good Christian. They crucified him. We are just Christians who live under his grace, delighted to be so, okay? But compulsion, like, you you give because you're like, oh, this guy, you know, he's saying he's not going to be able to go on the mission field if if I don't give him, you know, $1,000, and it's awkward to say no, and you're like, oh, and so you write a check, and, and your hand gives it, but your eyes take it back. You know what I mean? Here. It's under compulsion. that's, that's not cheerful. What you really want to do, and I'm giving you permission with missionaries, if, if you don't believe in what they're doing, don't give them any money. There are plenty of missionaries who are, for the most part, worthless. Okay, I, I mean that sincerely. A good missionary is worth his weight in gold. Give generously but there's plenty of guys who are on the mission field because they can't make it in the real world, as there are pastors, by the way. Like, (laughs) throwing stones in a glass house here. Um, But, like, if, if you don't believe in what they're doing, don't give them any money. You heard it here. Give less to some people, and the people you give to give because you're convicted in your heart. This is something I value. This is something worth giving joyfully and sacrificially. And when you give, want to give more. And, and say, I, I want to give more. Later, I will give more. How else can I participate in this ministry? Because I think it matters. That's what it means to be a cheerful giver. That's exactly what it means. Look, I think there's a back end to this. Luke twelve thirty four says, where your treasure is, there, your heart will be also. What that's saying is choose wisely what you invest in, because what you invest in is where your heart will be. And look, the reality is in, in Christendom in America, maybe in Christendom at Grace Bible Church, there are a bunch of people who are investing in a bunch of very worldly things a bunch, I'm not even going to say what they are, but you know what they are, and, and you're putting all your money into all of this stuff, and, and then you're wondering why your, your heart feels distant from the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Choose wisely what you invest in. But, but ultimately, what we have from verse 6 and 7, two choices, two choices. You can sow sparingly, or you can sow bountifully. To sow sparingly, you know, your heart is going to be far from the things of God. To, to sow bountifully with conviction of your heart, there's going to be a joy there, there's going to be a cheerfulness there. Which one sounds better to you? you you've probably experienced as I have, sowing sparingly. How's that working for you? You love it? Pretty passionate about the things you're sowing sparingly for? Excited about the the fruit of that ministry that you never even bothered to, to look into? <laughs> Wouldn't it be much more fun to sow bountifully into things that you really care about, to invest with joy, to invest in freedom, not worrying about, well, am I going to be able to make it back You know, on the tail end of my life? Here's the question I have. I think it's an important question. How can we go from... Sparing and begrudging hearts to bountiful hearts that are both cheerful and fulfilled in ministry. I mean, that's what we're looking for, right? To the degree that we're in the sparingly camp, we want to get to the bountiful camp. I, I think I'm projecting again that that's what I want to do. How, how do we get from sparing to bountiful? Here's the most important thing I'm going to say to you today, and I mean it 100%. The key to the condition of your heart in giving, which will determine sparingly or bountifully, the key to the condition of your heart in giving is what you think about God. It's what you think about God. You, You can try to get out from under this all you want, but what you believe to be true about God will determine How you give, what you give, where you give, it's going to determine everything. Let me press into that a little bit. If you think God is a giver, if you think God is the greatest giver, if you think God is a good and gracious Father who is a fountain of continuous blessing and provision for the children that He loves unconditionally he provides like a fountain that never stops if you believe that about god you will give generously you will period this is a pretty good litmus test for what you believe about god and ultimately the reason you will give generously is because you are playing with house money That's what you believe. You believe that God is the one who has given you this money. He will continue to give this money to the degree that you have any money at all. And and he will give it to you. And so you're like, yeah, why wouldn't I give it away? Because God is going to give me more. And he gives me more so that I can give more. Not to make me rich. So that I can be even more generous. And it's not my money anyway. I'm a steward of God's money He gives me more than I can possibly spend. Why wouldn't I give it? If you believe that God is a generous, gracious, giving father, you'll give generously. Now conversely, if God is a taker, and I sometimes think God is a taker, but if you're like me and you believe that God is a taker, incessantly demanding, always draining, always testing, always prodding, always wanting more, I promise you, you will hoard your money. You'll actually also hoard pleasure. Because you you think that God is like a cosmic killjoy, and like he has told you not to do all of these things in Scripture to to keep you from pleasure. And and so what you're going to say is, look, Monday through Friday, and maybe on Sunday, I will be God's, but Saturday is mine. And we hoard. Oh, no. I'll give you some of it, but I'm not giving you all of it, Lord. You do it with your time as well as you do it with your money. I I promise it's because you think God is a taker. Why do I say all this? Because that's exactly what the next scripture in our passage is going to tell us. Tell me if I'm wrong here. Looking at verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. And this is Psalm 112, which we read to start our service today. Tell me if I'm lying. In summarizing verses 8 through 11, I want you to look at your Bibles or your phone, your Bibles on your phone, wherever it is. Tell me if this isn't accurate. Okay. Verse 8, God gives grace in order that. It's the Greek term, henna, and it means in order that. God gives grace in order that we might have sufficiency in everything. And sufficiency could be translated contentment and, and therefore speaks to security. Like we, we are not going to lack as the children of God who are faithful to God. God gives us grace in order that we might have sufficiency in everything, which is contentment, which is therefore security. And then the next, henna, in order that we may abound in every good work. Did I leave anything out? Isn't that a good summary? Now, the word abound. The word abound there, that we may abound in every good work. It's used five times in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. It means having excess or more than enough. That's what it means. I did a word study, I promise you. It means having excess or more than enough. So here's the question. Why wouldn't we be generous if we really believe that God provides in excess? What, what are we clutching on to? What are we hoarding? Do we, do we think the fountain's going to dry up? God's going to somehow get old? He, he's not going to be able to produce like He has before. He gave you whatever He has given you so far, but, but, but He's just going to no more? Why wouldn't we be generous? if we really believe that God provides in excess. And let me press that a little bit, because I know that a lot of you are funny with money. And you know I've, I've heard that this morning in the foyer. I won't name names. <clears throat> I, I'm going to take a risk here. It worked real well in the first service. There's, I'm guessing, 900 people in this room. Okay? I'm going to ask for a show of hands. and I, I, I mean it. Have you ever met a miserable and impoverished old person because he or she gave too much. Raise your hands. But isn't that the exact fear that makes all of us scared to be generous today? We're now call it 1700 people into this grand experiment and nobody has has met somebody who is impoverished in the late stages of their life because they were too liberal in their generosity because they trusted God more than they should have not one person. And, and by the way, if, if you have met someone who was impoverished in the late stages of life, and you're like, well, I just didn't want to raise my hand, I got you there. I'll bet you dollars to your nickel that it's not because they gave too much. I'll bet it's because they spent too much. And there's a difference. Just to get out ahead of that. But do you see what we do? Ooh, I'm, I'm insecure. You know, like, I, I, I'm going to live till I'm 106 and, and I've got to, you know, I'm retiring at this, and I'm, you know, no. We get really insecure, really weird in that regard. Okay, let me, let me cover something in verses 10 and 11 that we've already kind of gone through, but I, I just want to push it a little bit. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And then we'll pause there. The reason I'm bringing this up again, it's, it's really a reiteration of the point that we've already made. but the prosperity gospel, people who promote the prosperity gospel, use verse 10 and 11 as their proof text. And, and here's, here's what they do, and I just I want you to get out get you out ahead of that, one, so that you wouldn't be sucked into it, but two, so that in a loving and kind way you could talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ who have falsely believed or even proclaimed this. The prosperity gospel takes verse 10 B and, and talks about the, the seed money, your seed money, and, and says if you will give to the church, God, God will grow that seed. He he will germinate the seed into a mighty yoke of prosperity. I've heard that in churches in Houston, Texas. Not personally, but on TV. <laughs> Most of the bad stuff happens on TV, I'm just saying. <laughs> Repent of TBN. It's, it's seed money. And you, you give the seed money and, and it turned, God turns it into a material harvest and enrichment. And it, it's, it's for your own personal gain. It's like God has become a Ponzi scheme. Literally. Look at what the text actually says. God doesn't increase your material harvest, period. He increases the harvest of your righteousness, your your participation in the kingdom. You'll be enriched, yes. You'll be enriched to be generous in every way. Like you, it, to the degree that God gives you more money, He is giving you more money so that you might give more money. That's what it means to be generous in every way. Verse 8 even says that you will abound not in prosperity, but in every good work. The fruit then of your generosity isn't personal wealth as an end that you might live lavishly. The fruit of your generosity is the means by which God provides more so that you might give more, that you might participate more fully in the kingdom of God. It's it's not ultimately about you. It's about participation in his kingdom. You might be thinking, and we'll kind of start wrapping it up here. So if I don't give... I won't have the opportunity to give more because that's exactly what verses 8 through 11 said. Like, give and God will enrich you by that which enables you to give more. So, so you're getting out ahead of this a little bit and you've got a dark heart and that's just what it is. If I don't give, I won't have the opportunity to give more but I don't really want to give in the first place so what am I actually missing out on? Like, I'm, I'm missing out on the opportunity to give more. I don't want to give in the first place. Like, eh, What's the deal? Dark hearts. Verses 11 through 15 actually give you a couple of ideas on this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's what you're missing out on. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. God. But their approval of this service, the the Jerusalem people who receive this and are like, gosh, we love these people for their sacrifice. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God, for this inexpressible gift. Just real quick to review in verses 11 and 12, God gets the credit for our generosity. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't seem fair. I'm the one who's being generous. Why does God get all the credit? He produced it in you, is why He gets the credit. And it's His money, remember? It's not your money. You haven't given your money to any good causes. You've given God's. Money. You're called a steward, so so God is convicting you to give God's money to God's ministry, and God gets the credit, and that's wonderful. That's why you don't need to have your name on the building. Just so you know, God gets the credit, and that's even greater. Than us getting the credit. Verse 13 is another interesting one. I just want to highlight this as we work toward wrapping up. By their approval of this service, the Jerusalem church really are grateful for this offering that the Gentile church is giving. They will glorify God because of your submission. So you have lowered yourself under the authority of God. You have been obedient even unto submission. Your submission that comes from The confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Here's how this works. I think this is actually really fun. Your submission to God is evidenced by your words. That's all about that stuff about the gospel there. Your confession of the gospel of Christ, all about your words and by your generosity. And what he's saying here is your words and your generosity are congruent. They're working in the same way. So often, we say as Christians, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he takes care of me. And then we go, but I actually take care of me. Hoard, clutch, miserly. And there's an incongruence there. How many of you have been in a business deal And your initial interaction was with a guy who wore his Christianity on his sleeve. Oh, I go to the first Methobacterian church. I am a firm believer that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And it's great when you start initially transacting the negotiation, but when it it gets to that last day and you're figuring out the final details and it really gets real, they start retrading the deal, don't they? Because all of a sudden, they're not so sure that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. They're they're trying to figure out how to keep some of those cattle for themselves. I hear about that all the time. It's it's something as a Christian that we have to overcome because there's an incongruence. Here's the point. If you don't like the two-faced guy in business... And that's what he is. If you don't like the two-faced guy in business, don't be the two-faced guy in giving. Because you're doing the same thing. Hoarders hoard in the business room or at lunch when someone's making a plea for, for funding for a ministry. Hoarders hoard. They're doing the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Order sword. I want to read you a story. It's called Desert Pete. Many years ago, a weary traveler hiked for miles across a desert with the hot sun beating on his back. His water supply was gone, and he knew that if he didn't get to water soon, he would surely die. In the distance, he spotted a deserted cabin, which brought hope because he thought maybe he would be able to find water there. He made his way to the cabin and discovered an old well. He frantically pumped on the handle of the well to draw water, but all that came out was dust. Then he noticed a tin can tied to the pump with a note inside. The note read, Dear Stranger, This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer in it, and it should last for quite a few years. But the washer dries out, and the pump needs to be primed under the white rock I buried a jar of water out of the sun and corked up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about a quarter of the water into the pump and let it soak in for about a minute to wet the leather washer. Then pour the rest medium fast and pump hard. You'll get water, but have faith. This well has never run dry. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back as you found it for the next stranger comes this way. Sincerely, Desert Pete. <clears throat> if you're like me, sometimes you feel like God is asking you to pour out the only water that you have. And and it feels like you're pouring it down a hole and You're not sure where it's going. You just know that it's not going into you. This text is mostly here to tell you that God is not trying to rob you. He's not trying to test you. He's giving us an opportunity to drink deeply in the middle of a desert. That's what he's doing. That's why it talks so much about the character of God. You don't have to give more to Grace Bible Church. We're doing fine. But I promise you'll enjoy life more. You'll worship God more if you believe who He is and you live generously. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would so believe the gospel, that your son Jesus died for us to make us secure, that that you are therefore a loving father, a, a gracious fountain of provision and blessing, that we would take that which you have given us, and God, it is a ton, and that we would give to your kingdom liberally. Father, I pray that that would be true in the depths of our souls and that our lives would manifest the security that you have afforded us in the gospel. And I pray that you would be glorified in in how we invest in people, in ministry, in all that you've called us to invest in. I pray that we would do it generously and liberally. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.